We're uh, continuing a, a study in uh, Christmas lessons and uh, gifts and, and lessons we can learn from looking at the, the cast of Christmas. And we've looked at the, the shepherds and the wise man. We looked at Joseph uh, last week, and, and this week we're looking at Mary. Uh, Lord willing, this Thursday evening we will at Christmas Eve Thursday evening? yeah Thursday evening. we will look at uh, Emmanuel the the idea that God is with us and we will look at some titles there in in Matthew and and hopefully uh, learn some lessons there and have a great Christmas Eve together. But we are in a time where this time of year, this time of season, is known for its gifts. It, it's known for giving gifts. We're going to get some gifts. We're going to give some gifts. I've oftentimes wondered if why don't we just all just agree to call it even and I'll keep my gifts and you keep your gifts. We'll just call it even and, and call it a day. But Karen says that won't work, that we can't do that. So I trust her. And, uh, but it's known for gifts. Uh, other, some of the gifts that you're going to get are going to be good. Meaning this, they're going to be the right size. They're going to be what you wanted. They're going to be the right color. It's going to fit. It's going to be just what you wanted. I know that there are a, a couple of uh, things I, under our tree, not under tree yet, but uh, I can't wait to see our kids open them because I know deep down they're what they want, and I know deep down they just they 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 wouldn't ask. They they I think they think they wouldn't get it, and, and there's some reasons for that. But but for whatever reason, I I can't wait to see them open the gifts. They're going to be very surprised. I mean, we've taken our kids to Toys R Us. We've taken our kids to the store and let them pick. And we made a list and, and they know the deal. But there's a couple things under the tree that aren't on their list. But through conversations, I know they want. So some of the gifts are going to be good. Some of the gifts are not going to be good. You're going to open them up and you're physically going to have to force yourself to play the part of a gracious receiver. Oh, this is so nice. Just what I want. You're going to lie. If I can say that from the pulpit, that you're going to lie. Because you don't want to hurt someone's feelings. You're going to act like you want it. You're going to act like you're going to use it. You're going to act like it's not going to go in the back of your closet and the tag's not still going to be on it for some time. And you're going to look for a way to re-gift that thing. You're going to look for a way to re-gift it. Some, some of the gifts are just not going to be good. And there's a lot of things that go into bad gifts. Sometimes it's just not the right thing. So, sometimes the gift, the problem lies in the gift. Sometimes, though, if we're honest, the problem lies in us. So, sometimes the problem is maybe we don't recognize the reality of the goodness of the gift. Maybe, maybe it's our attitude. Sometimes pride can get in the way of receiving a gift well. Sometimes lack of knowledge, lack of understanding... I know that my wife, uh, very, very proudly, she bought all of us these little devices to put in our cars in the event that we're ever in a car accident, and it, it cuts the, the seatbelt on, on a dime. It'll break the windshield on a dime. She's very, she's, I, I'm going to tell you, I probably don't have the appreciation of that gift until the time I need that gift. Lord willing, I'll never need that gift. Lord willing, our family will never need that gift. But I, I just, it's, it's a great gift. I just don't appreciate it yet. We will receive the, the good gifts, we'll receive the bad gifts, ho hopefully graciously on the outside, hopefully thankfully, but they won't be treated the same. 
We'll love the good gifts. We'll, we'll, we'll not like the bad gifts. If, if I asked you, who in here would consider themselves a good gift giver? If you were so bold, do you think of yourself as a good gift giver? Yeah? Clay, Clay Bethany, is that true? Okay. Okay, she didn't hesitate, so that's a good sign for you. She didn't think, like, how do I say this graciously? I'm in front of the church. Exactly, exactly. She just gave you a good gift. How about that? Who, who in here, be honest, struggles? I tell you, I struggle. I struggle giving, good, giving gifts. It, it, I just, and, 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 and I'll be the first to tell you, you know, some of that, some of that falls on us. Some of that falls on me. I, I acknowledge that. Some people are, are just really in tune to other people. Some people just know what other people want. They love the idea of going out and shopping for them. They love the, the idea of finding the right gift. My, I, hopefully my parents don't listen to this sermon, but Karen is very good about buying gifts for my parents. I'm just like, hey, get it. First thing we find that she says she might like, I'm like, get it, let's go. Check that box and move on to the next thing. She's like, no, we need to keep looking. No, we found what we wanted. Let's go. It's a shirt. It fits. He'll love it. No, no, we got to keep looking. She's a very good gift giver. Me, not so much. And, and we all have different approaches. Some, some of the struggle, if we're honest, is our approach to Christmas. So, some of us, some, of, some people in here, their approach is, I'm going to give you a list. Don't deviate from the list. Don't try to get creative. Get what's on the list. Some of you in here, if you're honest, are like that. I'm just going to give you a list. I don't want you to deviate. Don't try to get creative. Some of us in here despise lists. You, you ask, hey, what do you want for Christmas? It's like, you ought to know. If you love me well, if you paid attention to me for the last 364 years, I, you ought to know. And that's true. Karen will look at me. I'm like, I know I should know this, Karen, but what do you need for Christmas? I know I should know. I should know if I listened if I paid attention, I would know. Uh, but, but some love surprises. Some people hate surprises. And at the end of the day, it, it sort of boils down to expectations. If we're honest, we can sometimes, whether it's our family, whether it's experience of being for fa with family, if it's the, the whole gift thing and in general, sometimes we can put expectations on Christmas and on others that just are beyond reasonable. And sometimes it has to do with, with voids in our own life, voids that we're experiencing, things that we desire, things that we hunger for, things that we thirst for, and we put those on other people and we think, man, a great Christmas will solve it. A, a, great, grift, a, great, a great gift will solve it. And if those expectations are met, we're satisfied. If they're not, we walk away unsatisfied and unfilled. But what about with regards to God. As, as I thought about this season and, and, I, and I studied Mary and I, and I looked at Mary, and again, familiar story, trying to ask the Lord, okay, what, what are some lessons, that truths that we can learn from Mary? Such a familiar story. I, I, I thought about this. What, what about regards to God? How do we approach God and respond to God, to God with regards to His gifts? Do, do we come to God with a list? Say, okay, God, here's how you can bless me. Don't deviate from the list. Or do we come to God empty-handed, just simply saying, God, you're a gracious God. Whatever you give me will be good. I'll, I'll trust whatever you give me. 
Whatever you decide to do in and through me is fine. Do we put expectations on God where we say, hey, if you, if you deviate from this, we, we, we may not be so bold as to say that, but deep down we think, you know what? This isn't what I planned. This isn't what I told you to bless me with. And so therefore, it's not good. Or do we come to God just, just, just open? Are we quick to toss aside gifts? You think about, I, I think about our kids. Your kids like to shake the boxes. My kid, they love to shake the boxes. Think about, think about this reaction. Think about the different reaction in your kids when they open a box and there are jeans, and they open a box and there's Legos. My, my children cannot get, it's like, the, the, it's like the box is infected. If there's jeans in it or clothes, they can't get like, ooh, I can't touch it. But if it's Legos, if it's something they wanted, see, they're interested in things they want, maybe not things they need. They have their own ideas. They don't understand that mom and dad and grandma and grandpa have a different perspective. And, and they have different reactions. And, and the lesson that I want to look at us today with regards to Mary is, is how does Mary respond to God and His surprises, His gifts? What, what impacts how Mary responds? You know, it's interesting in, in verse 29, we can of chapter 1 of Luke, you can flip back a page and, and see. Could imagine being Mary. Imagine having these truths come to you, be told to you. You're a 12, 13-year-old, uh, unwed, betrothed virgin, and you're with child. Think about that. I, I love what, what we read in, in verse 29. But It says, but she was very perplexed. At verse 28, it says, Coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. You can imagine Mary favored. It says, But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Really? Favor with God? Do you understand what this is going to do to my life? Do you, do you understand that, that how people are going to look at me? Do, do you understand how people are going to think of me? Do you understand what this might do to my relationship with, with Joseph? Favored one. Blessed. Mary's response to all this as she pondered, after she visited with Elizabeth, Mary's response to all of this, this gift that literally would turn her life upside down, is verses 46 through 56. It's praise. It's exaltation of the Lord. God is choosing Mary to, be, to birth the Savior, and that sounds great on the surface until you ponder it until you think about it, until you think through it. As Daniel saying, I, I closed my eyes and I tried to put myself in Mary's shoes. Do you think she pondered all of that? Do you think as Jesus grew, and, and, and Luke goes on to say he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with men, do you think as he approached the cross, what do you think Mary pondered then? As she saw her son hanging on a, a cross would be, would be rejected and scorned and spat upon and, and crucified. What do you think Mary pondered then? Favored? 
blessed? A life turned upside down. And yet Mary's response ultimately in verse 46, starting in verse 46, Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. I love what it says in verse 38. Mary said, Behold the bond... This is Mary's response. Behold the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Hey, I'll, I'll take whatever you give me, Lord. I'll walk whatever path you want to walk me through, Lord. If you're going to get glory, I'll walk it. If you're going to walk it with me, which you've promised, and you can do with me whatever you want, I'll obey. I'll follow. What we see here is Mary's response to all this was that she received it from God. She trusted God. She trusted that God was working in her and through her, and by faith she accepted whatever God gave. That's verse 38. Her attitude was simply, do with me whatever you want, Lord. Give me whatever you want, Lord. Take me through whatever you want if it brings you the glory. Because here's the bottom line. Mary was interested in God and not the stuff. Mary was interested in the giver, not the gift. And we'll get there. Mary, Mary praises God. Mary ponders and she sees through the surface level of all the stuff, and she sees God. Behind all the chaos, behind all the upheaval, behind all the disruption in her life, Mary sees God. And what Mary got through all of this was a deeper fellowship with God. See, Mary's hunger, Mary's thirst, you read that as Lee read, her hunger and thirst and longing was for God. And she said this, if this brings me closer to God, bigger than that, if this brings other people closer to God, then I'll take it by faith. I'll take it by faith. I'll do it by faith. I'll walk with thanksgiving and faith. Look at verse 49. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Mary knew at the bottom, at the bottom, bottom rung, the base level, she knew she served an awesome God. And she simply trusted Him. She hungered and she thirsted for God, not anything of this world. She was willing to let go of her reputation. She was willing to let go of all of that self-righteousness we talked about last week with the culture that they lived in, and she panted after God. But, but I want to make it real personal for us today. What, in your life right now, what are you hungering and thirsting for? What, what means the most to you? And, and beyond that, how does that affect how you receive God and His gifts? If it isn't what you had on your list, do you just set it aside? Do you look for the refund policy? You look to maybe pass it on to somebody else, re-gift it? And my point is this, and what Mary says 
is this, and she quotes Psalm 107. Really, we're not going to try to dissect all these verses. I want to build upon verse 53. Look at verse 53 of chapter 1 of Luke. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. Here's the point for the day. God fills and satisfies the spiritually hungry with good things, but He sends the self-satisfied away empty-handed. Those who come to God and feel like as if they really need nothing, guess what you get? A whole lot of nothing. That, that is a theme that runs throughout Scripture. We saw it in James when we studied the book of James. God does what to the proud? He opposes the proud. And what does He give to the humble? Grace. You come to God and needing nothing? Guess what? A couple, a couple of points in our, in our, on your handout today to build upon this point. The person God satisfies, you see that number one, the person God is satisfied is marked by a spiritual hunger. A spiritual hunger, a God-centered hunger. This isn't physical hunger we're talking about. This is a spiritual hunger. Mary saw herself as spiritually needy. Listen to me. There, there's theology out there that Mary was sinless. Look at verse 47. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Listen to me. If Mary was without sin, she would have no need for a Savior. Savior, we saw it a couple weeks ago. Savior was sent to save people, to rescue people. Mary saw herself as needy. She, she recognized, look at verse 48, for he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. There's a humility here in Mary. I mean, you're chosen to birth the Savior. You could probably get prideful real quick once you pondered all of that. And yet Mary was humble. Look at verse 50. His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who what? Fear Him. Mary leans totally on God. Total hunger for God. Mary says, there's nothing in my life that I deserved this blessing. It's all of grace, all a gift. Think, think about Matthew 5, 6 in the, in the Beatitudes where, where Jesus says this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Those that hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. Ultimately, our desire is to be like Christ. If that's what we want, God, Romans 8 reminds us that God works all things out for the good of those who love Him, to those who are called according to a purpose. And he, he says He's conformed us. He's predestined us to be what? Conformed to His image. Righteousness. It, can we honestly say that our hunger, the thing that we want more than anything, is to be more like Christ? Every, every aspect of our life, no matter what the cost. Mary reminds us that we need an attitude that says we will receive any gift from God knowing that He is conforming us to His image, righteousness. God is using it to conform us to His image. In 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul says, please, three times, take this thorn away from me. What was God's answer? My grace is sufficient. 
For my power is perfected in weakness. The image of Christ. Is that our goal? Is what we're praying for and what we're asking for this Christmas, is it surrounding the glory of God? Is it surrounding being more Christ-like? Or is it surrounding maybe some things of the world instead, something else? Is the deepest hungers of our lives, is it for, if we're honest, is it for the things of this world or is it for Christ? Is it for the things of this world or is it for righteousness? See, because Mary, it's interesting, Mary knew, she, she says, he gives good, he has filled the hungry with good things. She had a whole Old Testament she knew. She's quoting Psalm 107 there. Matthew 7 says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives and who seeks finds and him who knocks will be opened. Or what man is there among you who when he asks his son for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will not give him a snake? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in who heaven give what is good to those who ask? See, here's the problem, though. In our self-righteousness, in our sinfulness, sometimes I do ask God for what's paramount to a snake. I just don't realize I'm asking for a snake. Sometimes what I need is bread, and you know what I ask God for? A stone. But I don't know that sometimes. And God in His goodness is not going to give me a snake and He's not going to give me a stone. James reminds us in 1.17-19 that, that the Father is every good gift comes from above. He only gives good gifts. L listen to Isaiah 52 just as we evaluate our, our hearts this Christmas and, and what we really desire, what's on our wish list Listen to Isaiah 55, verses 1 and 2. Everyone, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. Listen to what he says. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. He goes on to say, incline your ear and come to me. Ultimately, the one that is good is God. Ultimately, the one that we need to be drawn near to is God and conformed to. Are we, are we pursuing the real thing or are we pursuing cheap substitutes for the real thing? That becomes the question. C.S. Lewis, and, and I love C.S. Lewis. He's one of those guys, though, that you've got to read a few times to really understand what he just said. He writes at a... Like, my reading comprehension is at about a grade four, and he's at a, like a master's degree. But, but, but listen to what he says. He's speaking to our tendency and our temptation to seek fulfillment in things that do not satisfy. He says this, We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We are like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant to it by an offer of the holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Is that true of me? Is that true of you, that we're far too easily pleased? That, that we would settle for a snake when God wants something better? That we would settle for cheap imitations of this world 
instead of that don't last, like we saw last week, broken cisterns that don't hold water? Or do we want the real thing? Do, do we have a huge spiritual hunger? I, I was reminded of, of Psalm 42, and even this morning, we, we go the back ways into church in the morning, and Bradley comes in with me early, and, and it very rarely that we do not see a deer early in the morning on our way here. This morning on our way, we had just left our neighborhood and turned left, and literally from me to the front row from the car, there was a deer. We stopped, rolled down the windows, and the thing just sat there, and Bradley was amazed that he was that close to the deer. And I thought about this morning. I thought about Psalm 42. Listen to this. There was, that deer just sat there and looked at us, and you're wondering what he's thinking, and he's, I'm wondering what he's thinking, and he's probably wondering what we're thinking, and then he just ran off. Listen, there's a picture, there's a picture in Scripture of, of a deer of what our lives ought to look like. Listen to Psalm 42.1. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Is that us? Can, can we say that with honesty? Can we read that and say that with honesty? That, that deer that's being chased by the dogs, that deer that's being pursued, he finds that brook, he can't wait to find that brook. Paul, Paul said the same thing in Philippians 3. He said, I count everything lost compared to surpassing greatness of knowing you, God. He says, I, I, I rejoice even in, my, even in my sufferings. Why? Because I get a greater fellowship with you, God. Everything that this world had to offer me, all the entrapments that this world tried to lure me with to trust in self, I count them as, as literally, he says, dung compared to you, God. Mary would have had to forsaken all of the, all of the things, all the plans, many of the plans at least that she had for her life to embrace these circumstances. And she said, ultimately, what I want is you, God. You give good gifts, God, so I'm going to trust that this is good. You fill the spiritually hungry, God. I'm trusting you that this is good. I'm trusting you to be faithful with walking me through this. The question for us is, are, are, we, are we willing to forsake God and His righteousness to pursue, pursue lesser, cheaper things that, that don't satisfy? This won't be easy. It, it will require some very tough choices. It will require costs. But will we settle for less than God desires for us? Will we, will we settle for worldly things when God offers greater things? Will we settle for making mud pies in the slum, not knowing that God has offered us a day at the beach, as C.S. Lewis said? But not only, do, not only is the hunger here spiritual, and God satisfies the spiritually hungry, but, but Mary teaches us and reminds us, God satisfies with only good things. With only good things. If we're honest, in our lives, oftentimes the things that God does, His ways are not our ways. I am, no one is more surprised that I'm pastoring this church than Chris Basham. Trust me. And I know there are some people that are utterly shocked. No one is more shocked than me. 
No one is more utterly shocked every, every Sunday morning when you show back up. It, it's a good thing. And, and oftentimes, here's the reality in Scripture, oftentimes God brings people to the ends of Himself before He blesses. Oftentimes God brings us to circumstances where only He can get the glory. Why? So only He will get the glory before He blesses. You, you can go back to 1 Samuel. You can talk talking about Hannah. In 1 Samuel 1, verses 2, verses 4, verses 5, every single one of those passages say, Hannah, Hannah did not have a child. Why? Because God had closed her womb. Why? So that God could get the glory when He opened her womb. Think about Abraham and Sarah. Old age. Some 10, 15 years had passed since the promise that they would, they would bear a child. 10, 15 years awaiting, nothing. 80, 90, 100 years old. Why? So God would get the glory. Think about Mary. 12, 13-year-old virgin, pregnant. God would get the glory. But God only gives good things, and Mary reminds us of that, that no matter what, no matter when, God only gives good gifts. The point is this, that God often brings us, you see it on your handout, to the end of ourselves where we have lost confidence in our own ability before He blesses us to that our praise and our hope will be holy in Him. That when people see Chris Basham, I hope they see the greatness of God. I hope they see that God is doing something here, not Chris Basham. And I think that's the point. As I've said in verse 53, Mary quotes Psalm 107 here. If you go back to Psalm 107, we won't, but Psalm 107 is full of situations where God put people in impossible situations and circumstances in order that they would not trust in and of themselves, but in God alone. And in Psalm 107, you see time and time again that God delivered every single one of those people that were put in impossible circumstances. Interesting that Mary would quote that here. Mary would draw upon the faithfulness of God years after years, generation after generation after generation of faithfulness to her people. She draws on it right here in, Psalm, in, in Luke 1, 53. God, we have a history, I have a history, a heritage of people that were impossible in impossible situations, and you were faithful and delivered them. You filled them with good things. They trusted in, in you alone, not in of themselves. You delivered them. And it, it, it hearkened me back even to our James study. It goes back to, to worldly wisdom, godly wisdom. From a worldly wisdom perspective, Mary would have nothing to celebrate. From a godly wisdom perspective, she has everything to celebrate. Many of us walking through circumstances here, from a worldly perspective, we have no reason to continue worshiping. From a godly wisdom perspective, we have every reason to continue worshiping. We have no reason from a worldly perspective to give glory to God from an external, circumstantial way. From a spiritual, from a, from a, from a godly wisdom perspective, we have every reason to continue worshiping. Uh, we live in a world that says this, God helps those who what? 
Finish that. Help themselves. I haven't found that one yet. I've looked. I haven't found that one. It sounds great. Here's where it sounds. Here's why it sounds great. Because it's, it's flesh. Because it's pride. It appeals to my pride. But, but listen, listen to what Jeremiah 17, 5, a verse that's actually in the Bible. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. A little different. Looks to me like God helps those who come to an end of themselves. And, and by no means is this, is this talking about being lazy. This is talking about trusting in ourselves. It's talking about hungering for God. It, it means ultimately who we're relying on is God. We walk in obedience, but ultimately who I'm trusting in is not my flesh. I'm trusting in God. Mary pondered this. Mary day by day took one step after another out of obedience. Her reliance was in God, not in man. And, and ultimately, we have to trust God to determine. We love to quote Romans 8, 28, For God causes all things to work together for good, those who love Him to those who are called according to His purpose. Here's the reality. I love that verse, but I love this verse with this caveat, we have to trust God to determine what is good. See, you and I don't get to tell God what is good. We, we don't get to always fill in the blank and tell God, well, you know what, this would, be the, this would be the good to work this out for. No, God gets to choose that. But here's what Mary reminds us. God will only give that which is ultimately good. And he will only, we will only be satisfied as what we're looking for is a spiritual fulfillment and a, and a relational hunger with God, not a physical hunger. It's a relationship with God. It's not stuff. Thirdly, this. Not only does God satisfy the spiritually hungry, not only does he only give what is good, God himself is our only true satisfaction. Ultimately, what we're looking for, ultimately the greatest good gift, is a relationship with Him. I mean, Daniel spoke to it this morning. Think about that, God with us. That, that is why we can honestly sing, there is none like Him. And the, the issue for all of us the fight that you face, the fight that I face. I am not immune as the pastor. Here's the, here's the battle. What do we truly hunger for? Is it happiness or is it holiness? Is it the giver of the blessing or is it the blessing? Is it God's face or is it His hand? is ultimately what we hunger for, is it God Himself? Is it His, his fellowship? Is it, is it the relationship? If, if we are honest, if we are very honest with ourselves, we prefer a more practical Christianity. Here's what I mean by that. If we're honest, we simply want to go to God and for Him to answer the prayer or give us the answer, and so we can move on. And you know what we do? We miss the relationship. 
We want to come to you and just say, hey, just tell me who to date. Hey, just tell me where to go to school. Hey, just tell me where to work. And here's what God says. No, walk with me. Let's just walk together. See, and it's the same way with gifts. I come to Karen and I say, Karen, just can you just tell me what you want? So I can go to the, and here's the sinful heart behind that. So I can just go to the store, get what you want, and it's done. Move on to something else. It's a lot harder to walk through the store and to look at things and then sift them through my wife. That's harder. Would Karen want this? Would Karen look nice in this? Would this be a blessing to Karen? That's harder. See, what's harder is going through life saying, hey, would this honor God? Would this relationship bring glory to God? If I date this boy or girl, is, is that going to encourage me? Is that going to influence me to do things that are, bring me closer to God or draw me away from God? Hey, if I go to this school, am I going to grow closer to God or am I going to draw away from God? Hey, if I uproot my family and take this job way over here, here's where I'll just be very honest with you. What I rarely, I love to ask people, well, are there any good churches in that area? Well, I don't know. We haven't looked yet. Why are you moving there? I'm not saying don't move there. But I'm saying we can do things. That, are we looking for the blessing or the blesser? Maybe God wants you to move there and start a church. I, I'm not saying that. But, but have we even considered what it's going to do to our family and our walk with the Lord? See, it's a lot harder to walk through life simply trusting God than it is for Him to mail us a letter and just say, hey, here's what it looks like. Here's the end game. Marry this person, live here, do this. No, no, faith. Knowing that God only gives good gifts and the ultimate good gift that He has given us is Himself. Listen, the relationship, you see it on your handout, the relationship is the gift. Intimacy and fellowship with God is the gift. The, whole, the blessing of salvation, it, yes, our sins forgiven, all that, but we get God, a relationship with God. I mean, our, think about your kids. Your, if your kids are like my kids, they're going to open up gifts, and you've literally got them to slow down just to recognize who is that gift from. Can we start by you acknowledging who is the gift from? They don't care. You know why? Because they just want the gift. And, and here's the reality. Every single gift under the tree, every single gift you get this Christmas, you know, what the, you know what the connection is? There's a relationship behind the gift. Don't miss the relationship. Don't, don't walk through life just, just looking for answers and miss the relationship. Because see, what I've learned about this is when, 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 I, when I'm a, the husband Karen wants to be, me to be, when I'm doing the things I ought to be, I know what to get her. I, I know what she'd be happy with. Now, I, I'm not the best gift giver, so it's probably always going to be a challenge. But, but I think you see what I'm saying. And, and here's the thing. When Karen knows the heart behind the gift... That changes. It may not be the perfect gift, but you know what she's honored with? The heart behind it. Will we make mistakes in our Christian life? Yeah. Will we miss things sometimes? You know what? You know what God is saying? I, he did it by faith. 
God is honored by living by faith. And I think He's gracious with the heart mistakes. And it's the relationship. Our satisfaction is to be found in Him. God alone meets our deepest needs. I want to close with this before we take the, the Lord's Supper together. And I hope it'll paint the picture of the balance between the Word of God and, and physical things. Suppose you were starving physically. There, there are a lot of ways, good and bad, for you to eliminate the feeling of hunger. Agreed? Suppose you were starving and I brought to you a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts that were purchased while the hot light was on. That's good, isn't it, Chris? We were out with Chris and Stephanie one time, and we, we had just eaten, and the boy wouldn't let us drive by the Krispy Kreme store. We had to stop and got a dozen donuts. You would cr Listen to me. If you're like me, you would crush those 12 donuts. Hot Krispy Kreme donuts. I mean, they just go smooth. They're smooth. They go down quick. It's bad. Uh, you've eaten eight before you realize you ate one. Doing this, listen to me, doing this, would it or would it not eliminate the feeling of hunger? It would. And a little while after, you'd, you'd feel some other stuff you didn't wish you felt. But here's my question. Has it truly satisfied your hunger? Your body is still empty. Your body is still in need of some nutrients. Your body is still in need of food. You may not feel hungry, but your body is still hungry. You've simply numbed yourself to your body's needs. You, you may not feel the sensation of being hungry, but you're still hungry. And all you've done is settle for a short-term substitute that actually, listen to me, in the long run is actually hurting you. You, by doing that, you're actually worse off before, I mean after, than you were before. By settling for substitutes. You've numbed yourself to a real need. And, and, and the, 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 the connection is this, when we settle for substitutes rather than pursuing God, when we seek our happiness in substitutes rather than God, we're actually hurting ourselves. Because we numb ourselves to a real need. When we settle for less than what God desires, when we settle for less for Him, whether it's in dating students, whether it's in dating and marriage adults, whether it's anywhere, when you settle for less than what God has called us to and what is honorable to Him, we are actually hurting ourselves in the long run. You're settling for things that will temporarily satisfy but have long-term negative effects. I mean, maybe not immediately, let's be honest. You eat, you eat some Krispy Kreme donuts, you're going to feel good for a while, and you're going to rejoice in that decision for a while. Bethany, maybe not. Most of us in here are going to love some donuts. For a while. We, we, listen, when you settle for the world, when you settle, it'll feel good for a while, but in the long run, it's devastating. And if we do that habitually over the long run, it's devastating. Satan will offer all kinds of shortcuts. Listen to me. All kinds of things will be offered to you that seemingly will satisfy. The best good thing is knowing God. And the greatest picture in all of that is what we celebrate right here. It's the crucifixion. It's Jesus taking on flesh, living a perfect life, and ultimately dying on a cross for our sins. We, we don't understand that. 
that doesn't make sense to us. The Bible says it's foolishness, it's folly to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's wisdom. We come to God alone by faith. We come to God empty-handed, desiring to be filled by Him. If we refuse to admit that we're spiritually poor, that we are in need of God for our salvation, for not only for salvation, but for our daily living and sustenance, He says, you get nothing. I pray that when we come up here and take these elements, we'll come longing for Him, that this will be a picture, that we'll come spiritually longing, that in our lives, nothing will satisfy but Him. Because here's the reality. You can custom make an idol, but you have to come to God as He is. And you have to worship Him as He is. And He's good, no matter what. And what we have before us is living proof that His ways are better than ours, that His wisdom is higher than ours, that in His wisdom He crucified His own Son, that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He offered up His righteousness in exchange for our unrighteousness if we will identify with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection as having been our own by faith. If we'll acknowledge that our sin, we, because of our sin, we deserve to be on that cross, not Jesus Christ. And that by faith, we've applied the blood that He shed to our lives. And Isaiah says He'll wash our sins. Though they were scarlet, He'll wash them white as snow.